I am from Puerto Rico, like Richie said. I actually flew from Puerto Rico here. Um, and anyways, I was born raised there. Uh, but for the last eight years of my life, I've been in different places, not mostly in Puerto Rico, actually. So if you want to get to know me more, we can talk more about later. We don't, we don't have much time right now. So if you can go to page, uh, I think it's page five of the notes. I'm going to pray and just get started. Father, we love you. We bless you this morning and uh, we give you glory and we give you praise. Father, even us Gentiles, we can gather around you, around the word and, and celebrate the gospel and celebrate the good news and rejoice in them and praise you and give uh, glory to your name even among the ends of the earth. We are truly at the very ends of the earth and you have sent your word to us and, and we thank you for that. And, and Father, I ask you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, in the knowledge of your son. I ask you for the enlightening of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts. We, we come to you poor and blind and broken, oh God. We really don't know. And, and we just need instruction. We want to incline our ear, our heart to you, Father, and receive from you and, and, and be humble. Make us tremble, I ask. All of us together as we fellowship around you, around the gospel around the scriptures, and open our eyes to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can see, we're going to be talking this morning about the fire of deception. And uh, you may have noticed that there's different fires that we're addressing and we'll be addressing throughout the conference. And uh, fires, by fires we mean like trials, testings, challenges that as believers... Uh, we are facing already, and we will be facing uh, in the future in, a, in an increased way. So we're going to be talking specifically in this session concerning the reality of, or the issue of deception at the end of the age as one of the main challenges that, that uh, believers are facing and will be facing in the days ahead. We can read Matthew 24, 3 to 5 to provide some context. Jesus himself says, he says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And in context, he, they're asking him about the destruction of the temple, the end of the age, and his coming, his return. So in relation to that, they're asking him, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So that itself, Jesus' own warning, should be enough for us, sorry, for us to be sobered about this reality, this challenge of concerning deception. And uh, so the greatest hour of trial, let her be, for the church and the world, the world at large is, is actually upon us. And for those who are diligent to watch into the signs of the times, it is evident that the judge is at the door. So if, if we just pay attention to the Bible, 
and to the different things that the Bible, the prophets, and the apostles, and Jesus himself laid out, if we just pay little attention and we just look around us in, our, in, in this country and in, among the nations of the earth and the Middle East, it is very evident. I mean, we have to be truly deceiving ourselves and blinding ourselves for us to not see clearly that things are intensifying and that many specific trends and, and events that, uh, that the, the Bible talked about are actually happening, are taking place in front of us. So I think it's pretty evident, even unbelievers. Even unbelievers will, will tell you, you know, things are getting crazier and crazier, and, and you know, we don't know what's going on, but we believers are supposed to know, you know what's happening and why it's happening. Not just what is happening, but why it's happening. And uh, so that's, that's a challenge before us. In Matthew 24, a couple of verses after what we just read, Jesus says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, when you see all these things, and you can go read Matthew 24 and other passages to see the things that he's talking about, you know that he is near at the very gates. So Jesus is saying something very clear and very bold. He says, guys, all that I just told you about, all those signs, events, uh, different things happening, when you see that very concretely, very objectively, you know that the end is near. So Jesus didn't leave us in a, you know, vague, you know, subjective type of mood of, you know, who knows what's happening. You know, Lord have mercy, you know, who knows, and who knows when, when, when the end will come. No, Jesus was actually very clear that many signs will make it evident that the end is at hand, that the judge is at the door. Since deception, letter C, is one of the main issues before us, especially as the day of his coming approaches, it is extremely important that we prayerfully give heed to Jesus' warnings about it. So, we're going to talk about four main things now. We're going to talk about deception in the beginning as you know, foundation for this issue of deception. It's always good and necessary to go back to the beginning concerning, you know, whatever in the Bible, you know, to identify how things started happening. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. And then we're going to go and talk about deception in the end. Like in light of the beginning, how things started developing, then what's going to happen in the end? What's like the main uh, features concerning deception in the end? And then we're going to address deception in relation to the gospel. Because it's all about that really in the end. Uh, the identity of Jesus himself and the gospel and the hope of the gospel. So that's, that's what deception is mostly oriented around. So we're going to talk about the relationship of deception and the gospel. And we're going to conclude, hopefully, with uh, the provision that the Lord has, has given us for us to, to guard ourselves against deception. And I believe that uh, community or strong fellowship of believers is, is one of the main things that the Lord has provided for us to be able to overcome deception. So, deception in the beginning. 
The drama concerning deception started in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning of creation. We're going to read briefly through this passage, Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So we see that deception is actually oriented around the words of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, so he's appealing to appetites, to loss, to, to what goes through our eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, so the desire of the heart is, is central to this issue, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So this passage is loaded with implications. We're not going to get into all the details, but we get a big picture. And this is, of course, a super well-known passage. So the serpent is very seducing, very tricky, and starts deceiving Adam and Eve in relation to the words of God, what God actually said. So it's, did God actually say? So there's, there's a distortion or a manipulation in some way or another, of what God actually said previously. And then we have a complete, then later on, we have a complete contradiction of what God actually said. Like basically saying, you will actually not die. Really, it's just God is trying to trick you. You know, he just doesn't want you to, to be as wise as he is. And that stirs up certain desires and appetites. And, and what the Bible calls lost, you know, like this, like, you know, perverse desire in the heart that brought the, the yielding to the seduction or the deception of the serpent. So that gives us some foundational uh, understanding. So in the next page, page six, letter B, therefore, the witness of scripture in its beginning chapters is foundational in relation to the issue of deception. It should, it should also be mentioned that Satan has been very aggressive in deceiving men about this beginning, i.e. the theory of evolution, labeling Genesis pretty much as, you know, just a, you know, mythology or whatever else. So this is such a huge point. It is massive, this idea of how accurate and true Genesis actually is, specifically the beginning chapters, the creation account, the temptation account. And it's just so critical for us to, to approach the Lord and tackle this issue. And there's many, many things that the Lord has provided, I believe, uh, for us believers so that we can actually be certain about the beginning. The Lord has, has been faithful to address... A lot of the lies and a lot of the strategies from the enemy to bring confusion, doubt, and unbelief 
in relation to the beginning. And I highly encourage you to go and find resources. You can actually go to the DTN website. There's many resources that address like the truth of Genesis and evidences for, for recent creation, for st- all, all that kind of uh, stuff. There's many other <coughs> sorry, ministries that the Lord has raised up concerning this issue in particular. Because believe me, if you have doubts about what we just read, the rest of the Bible is going to be like, just like, you know, like foggy and you're not going to be fully sure of what's happening throughout the rest of the testimony. And your, your own heart will be very vulnerable and, uh, to, to deception, really. So I know this is a very delicate issue, but I highly encourage you to, to go settle your heart about it before the Lord. If you're struggling, maybe all of you are just like fully convinced, of course, you know, Adam was a real man, like, duh. Of course, you know, creation was made in seven days, six little days. But anyways, I'm not going to keep going into that. Letter C, we see then that the devil himself is the source of deception, or as Jesus called him, the father of lies. Another well-known passage, John 8, you are of your father, the devil. And he's addressing the Jewish leadership. And you, this is really intense. And you, your will is to do, this is, this is crazy. Your will, your disposition, the inclination of your heart, your desire is to do your father's desires, i.e. the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is huge reality here. The goal of the enemy, letter D, in seeking to deceive us, is for us to betray the Lord covenantally. We're going to be talking about this for a moment now. And to align ourselves with him, i.e. with the devil. In other words, the issue of deception or truth is always within a covenantal context. Adam violated the covenant with God when he and his wife Eve yielded to the seduction of the serpent. So in Hosea 6, 6 and 7, we have a very interesting uh, passage that says for i desire this is the lord speaking i desire steadfast love or loyal love and not sacrifice the knowledge of god rather than burnt offerings but like adam they israel transgressed the covenant there they dealt faithlessly with me so the prophet the lord himself is appealing to The situation in Genesis 3, the Lord had made a covenant with Adam and Eve. And we can, you can find out more about that. But the point is that when they were deceived by the serpent, the the result was unfaithfulness to the Lord. They betrayed the Lord covenantally by yielding to to, uh, deception. So deception, the main goal of the enemy is always to seduce our hearts so that we betray the Lord... We are not true to the Lord. So we're deceived, and then we end up aligning ourselves with the enemy. Furthermore, letter E, Israel is a primary example of those who are deceived, as they have concealed themselves with deception, so as to make a covenant with death. Thus the Lord has a case with them. So we read in Isaiah 28, 14, 15. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. 
those coffers, this, that word is pretty intense, those coffers who rule these people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact. The overwhelming scorch will not reach us when it passes by. And I believe that's an, an, um, it has to do with the day of the Lord. <clears throat> For we have made falsehood our refuge. And we have concealed ourselves with deception. So this passage is so critical. And of course, it, it, it's primarily about Israel. But we can apply it to ourselves in the sense of like the way that the heart can function. What we can do to ourselves. Just for the sake of just keeping our own agenda. You know, it says, I mean the rulers, they, they, they said, we have made a covenant with death. And with y'all we have made a pact. The overwhelming scorch will not reach us when it passes by. We're fine. The day of the Lord, really, we're going to be fine. That whole reality of trembling and, and, and keeping a repentant heart and all the intense dynamics that are approaching, that really, we don't have to worry about that. We're going to be fine. For we have made falsehood our refuge. So it's, really, it's very uh, ironic what um, Isaiah is addressing here. But basically what we do is that we have this thing in our hearts. We have a driving force. We have an impulse within. And, and we're doing life on that basis. And so we, we encounter truth. And truth challenges our hearts. So we have two options. We repent and we renounce to our agenda or, or whatever is driving me. And we acknowledge the truth and we come to terms with it. Or we just go, oh, no, really, no, I am, um, you know, uh, it's not going to be like that, really. And we start make, creating our own ideas that are not true just for the sake of keeping our agenda or whatever we are, you know, we want to accomplish and do that is in, in opposition to what the Lord is telling us to do. And we deceive ourselves. So deception really start, starts in our own hearts. So anyways, you can read Hosea 4 for more about it. But the main issue is, is how, how are we to relay to the truth that the Lord sets before us. And therefore, simply said, letter F, deception is actually born out of pride. An arrogant unbelief or distrust in God as the heart yields to the subtle seduction of Satan. So at the, at the bottom line... Deception is, is born out of, of this stubborn inclination of our heart. And we, we yield into, into the seduction of the serpent because of unbelief. We, we, we don't truly trust God. We don't truly believe His words. And we end up, you know, allying ourselves with the enemy because of that. So having address some foundational issues about deception in relation to the beginning, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, and some other prophetic commentaries about that beginning. We're going to talk about deception in the end, which has to do with the seduction of the seed of the serpent. So 
So in the beginning, the serpent, Satan himself, was the main agent of deception. And he has been throughout the ages. In the end, uh, the seed of the serpent, which is ultimately the Antichrist, like we will see, will be the, the embodiment of deception before the earth and before believers. So letter A, starting with the narrative of Genesis 3. The biblical drama concerning deception keeps intensifying throughout Scripture until it reaches its climactic point at the end of the age. This drama plays itself out specifically in terms of the conflict between the righteous and the wicked, or the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord said something very, very significant. It says, I will put enmity between the serpent, you know, the, the deceiver, between you and the woman, and between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, the seed of the woman. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This prophetic oracle set the stage for such an epic drama, and thus began the conflict of the ages. The main feature of this conflict during this age is the persecution of the righteous by the wicked. The latter adhere themselves to the deception of their father, the serpent, while the former remain true to God, their father. In the Psalms, this conflict is laid out in very sharp terms. Here are a few, just a few examples that we can see in the Psalms. So just before we go into the Psalms, as you can, as you can see, this uh, issue of deception is just massive. Throughout the Bible, is is massive. So we're just simply uh, giving an overview. And the book of Psalms is, is very key in relation to this issue. So in Psalm 1, the, the very beginning, it says, How blessed is the man, which it has to do with the righteous messianic seed, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit... In the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And the meditation is so that it's like basically you're feeding your heart with truth. You are feeding your heart with what the Lord, who the Lord is. And what he has said that, that we should do in relation to him. Like how are we supposed to relate to him like Basically, we're meditating. We give ourselves to truth, to the word, onto remaining faithful to him. You meditate day and night so that you know, you know, truth and you remain true to God. Just to say it simply. In Psalm 4, verse 2, it says, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Psalm 10, verses 2 through 7. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have deceived, devised. Sorry, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are... There is no God. This is the core of deception. There's no God, and therefore, no accountability before Him. 
His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. Talking about the Lord. As for all, as for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. It's really, it's really intense, the language that we see here. And it gives more color to the picture of, of this drama of deception through all the ages. Again, primarily related to the, the, the righteous, the seed of the woman, and, and the, the wicked, the seed of the serpent. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have tested me. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. By implication, no deceit. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of men by the words of your lips i.e. the word of god i have avoided the ways of the violent so there's a relationship between the meditation the devotion to the word of the lord where we cultivate truth in our hearts we open our heart to truth and we set aside our ideas our agendas our preconceived convictions our creeds and we just go straight to the bible and we led the word of the word of his lips to to teach us truth. You can read Psalm fifty two. Let her see in the end the righteous will be avenged from the persecution and oppression of the wicked by means of the coming of the righteous one, Jesus the Messiah, who will finally crush the serpent and his seed. So the reason I am presenting uh, presenting this whole thing uh, this way. Is because right now, to put it in very general terms, there is a righteous remnant of people, Jew and Gentile, on the earth, and the rest of humanity is 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 a wicked is wicked humanity, you know, unbelieving humanity, like we were, like all of us were, you know, in the past. And the world at large is under deception, it's very clear. And the world functions a certain way because of deception, because of the prince of the world deceiving the world. And, and so we have a lot of pressure upon us because of that. And because we have, it's like, you know, salmon, they have to swim against the current. So we have to do the same. We're swimming against a whole system that is going against, uh, you know, God himself. And we want to be loyal to God and we have to resist the pressure of yielding to the wisdom of the world and the way that the world functions and remain true to God and to his word. And so we need a lot of encouragement because the pressure intensifies in many ways, even in family relationships, in, in, in the workplace, in ministry, in missions, in all over the place. The pressure for us to remain true to God, to the word intensifies and we are tempted our hearts are tested to whether or not we will remain 
faithful to the truth or compromise it just to, you know, you know, we have to do something because it's, the pressure is too much. You know, we have to come to terms in some way with the way that the world thinks in, you know, in all of its expressions. And so we need encouragement concerning the, the fact that Jesus, He will avenge the righteous. He will reward faithfulness. He will be loyal to those who are loyal to Him till the end. And that's why Luke 18, He says, And shall God not avenge His, his own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? Will He really find those who will remain loyal to Him? Covenantally, they will remain true to Him and not yield to the many schemes of the enemy and the seduction and the deception of the world that tells you, oh, you know, let's do things a little different. And don't say that, really, or, or you know, no, we, he, he's like, will, will I find faith? And of course he will. His grace is enough to sustain a remnant of people, Jew and Gentile believers, who will not betray the Lord, even unto death. And none of us are capable of that in and of ourselves. And that's why we pray day and night. We pray, God, things are really intense down here. We need help. We need grace. So help us. Remember how long, oh God. But we will remain faithful to you. Send the Spirit. Strengthen us with might in the inner man. So that we can endure till the end. That's what night and day prayer is oriented around. Is a cry for the Spirit. For us to remain loyal to Him. True to the gospel till the end. Even unto death. So that Jesus can actually find faithful people. In 2 Thessalonians, you can read it. Paul gives it more and more. uh, uh, He gives more uh, uh, color to this picture. In a very powerful way. We're going to go to letter D. According to the prophets, this apocalyptic end includes the coming of one man who will make deceit prosper under his hand. That's a very intense phrase. He will make deceit prosper under his hand. This is, what, this is what was revealed to the prophet Daniel. So in Daniel 8, 23 to 25. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints how many saints are here <laughs> by this but sorry by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind he shall become great without warning he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. So, this introduces us to the person of the Antichrist, which uh, is going to, some other 
you know, some of, some of the other teachers are going to be addressing that in a more specific way. But in reality, the issue of the Antichrist is the ultimate issue concerning deception, specifically in relation to the end. And that's why we're, I'm just going to introduce some ideas about it. So letter E, later on, the Jewish apostles carried the same witness as they confirmed by the Holy Spirit the appearance of the man of lawlessness just before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As it was to be expected, deception is at the core of his appearance. And thus the apostles soberly warned believers about it. Listen, this is not about being negative. Before we go into the word. We're not trying to be negative here. We're just, all of us, we're just a bunch of happy guys. Truly. Like, and we love joy and happiness. This is not about being weird and, you know, like storing guns and all that kind of thing. This is about being true to the Lord and just, just listen to what he said and his apostles said and his prophets said. It's very simple. It's like, Lord, it's, it's not about what, what I think is going on and will be happening. It's not about my, our own or my own little perception. It's about a very concrete witness given to us, entrusted to us generation after generation. So we either receive it or not. It's that simple. We either hear to what they said, or we just create our own fantasy in our, own, in our minds and hearts. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, just read briefly, it says, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Intense reality. Let no one deceive you in any way. Again, what Jesus said, Matthew 24. Paul is echoing the same witness. Let no one deceive you in any way. And so he's saying, let no one. He's telling you, it is your responsibility to be diligent in community so that no one deceives you. We have a huge responsibility as believers. And we have to be diligent, not indifference about it. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know that what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. This is hope right there. Because the world is intimidating, isn't it? Like the violent man, the rich man of the earth, the powerful man of the earth, they present themselves in such fancy, intimidating, boastful ways, right? And we, we have seen that throughout history. We're going to see the climax of that at the end of the age with the Antichrist, but it's nothing new. And, and Paul is saying, guys, 
You look at the kings of the earth. You look at the wealthy men, the men of power in the earth. Don't be intimidated. Jesus is going to come back. And by the breath of his mouth, he's going to bring them to nothing. He's going to kill them. He's going to banish them in a moment without any effort. Just like, and they will be done. Jesus is intimidating. Jesus is awesome and terrifying. He truly is. Father, help us to overcome the fear of men. They are mortal flesh. They are but dust, less than a whisper. Father, let us fear you above men. And even above the the son, the, the man of lawlessness. We fear you, O God, and you alone. You are our dread and our fear. We tremble before you. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, page 9. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. For those who are perishing because they refused. Key issue. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. This is so terrifying to my heart. I can actually refuse in my heart to love the truth. Like you're having an argument with your wife, right? And you can refuse to recognize that you're sinning against her, that you're being prideful, that she's right probably. You can, how many of you have gone through that? I've done it many times. And the Lord makes me miserable in love. He's like, son, you're being prideful right now. You're, you're being arrogant. And I'm like, oh, and he's like, mm, like, repent. And he's like making you miserable. And you can, you can keep refusing. Many times you can go through two, three days and you're still refusing and then by the third day, it's like, honey, please forgive me. And our wives, they go, oh, finally, God, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so anyways, this idea of refusing truth and acknowledging, it, it's really intense. It terrifies me. I ask the Lord every day, Lord, please, like, make my heart tender to you. True, I don't, want to re- I don't want to resist truth. I don't want to refuse truth because of my own thing, you know, my own desire. Final part, therefore God sends them a strong delusion. There's a refusal, a resistance on our part. And the Lord finally turns over those who persist in deception by sending them a strong delusion. So that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness. Without any argument, the ultimate issue of deception is that of the Antichrist himself. In fact, the Apostle John fully agreed with Paul regarding this issue. And both of them testified prophetically to three primary things. And so, just real quick, we have a couple more minutes. There's three main things. You can read the passages. I'm, I'm not going to get into this specifically because I, I want to touch the next part. But basically, 
we can find passages where clearly Paul and John, they agreed on three things. The mystery of lawlessness or antichrist spirit, like John called it, is already at work. It's been working since the day of the apostles. Secondly, the mystery of lawlessness and the coming of the Antichrist himself are the clearest signs of the times. Important fact. And then thirdly, his coming will be the apex of deception and the biggest challenge for the saints. So you can read the passages about this. But I really want to go into page 10 concerning deception, to talk about deception and the gospel. So we have a framework concerning deception in light of the beginning and the end. Let's see now briefly how that relates in a very specific way and how that plays out uh, in relation to the, to the gospel. Sorry. As I mentioned in the beginning, deception or truth always happens in context to covenant. By means of the gospel, even we Gentiles have been betrothed to Jesus on the basis of a new and everlasting covenant. Therefore, as believers, we could be deceived in relation to our covenantal allegiance to the Messiah. Our loyal love for Jesus will be tested through the fire of deception. Paul had this perspective when confronting the saints at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 11, 2-15. It says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betroth you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit, i.e. an antichrist spirit, from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And then we jump to uh, uh, the next part. For such men are false, this is intense, false apostles, and in this context, he's referencing specifically the circumcision group. We're going to talk about that briefly. They're false apostles, deceitful workmen. Paul is so bold. He's not playing games here. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So, this is a burden in my heart. So, you know, we have to be so loving and honoring and long-suffering within, with ourselves, our families, and, and churches, and, and the, whole, the body as a whole. But in context to love and, and, and the grace of God, we have to be bold also because there are many issues in front of us in, in context to the body, to the, to the church. And the, the line must be drawn very clearly concerning many issues. I'm, I'm not going to get into detail, but the apostles were very bold and clear. They were not vague and, yeah, you know, like, um, whatever, you know, they are just a different stream. You know, they have a different idea. No, no, no. Paul is just like, listen, guys. There's one gospel, there's one spirit, there's one truth. 
Whoever is not being loyal to that is not true. Therefore, it's false. And he uses very sharp language here. So I am not saying we, should, we, we can go now out and start bashing on people because we ourselves are messed up. I am messed up, really. So that's not what I'm saying. Well, what I'm saying is that clearly the line must be drawn in love, in humility, in, in oriented around the apostolic witness, not the agenda of a certain ministry or organization, as, as hard as that can be, but in context of the scriptures. And we must be sincere. Are we actually receiving the witness purely? And we all, we all have our own little things, you know, and so that's why we need community. That's why we need other people to come and help us and challenge one another and all that stuff. But clearly, the line must be drawn. And we, in whatever way the Lord would give us wisdom, we have to address issues like, like the apostles did back in the day. So the main problem with these false apostles, we literally have three more minutes, see, see how we can do it. The main problem with these false apostles was their preaching of a false gospel that required circumcision and observance of Moses' law. Their goal was to boast in the flesh instead of the cross. And the result was an abandonment of simple faith in Jesus. So you can read Galatians 6. It's, it's so intense because Paul says in verse 12 that basically the main reason they were embracing this false gospel was simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That, that's what was driving them. No, of course I don't want to lose my reputation. Of course I don't want to lose my influence. Of course I don't want to lose whatever. I don't want to lose my, my PhD or whatever. You know, you, you, you apply it however you want. So they were doing it so that they will avoid persecution in whatever shape or form. It could be subtle, it could be drastic. <clears throat> Along with this group, the apostles challenged the deception of what later became Gnosticism, which, is, which in simple terms was the distortion of the gospel through Greek philosophical ideas. This is the main heresy addressed in John's letters. In the apostolic mind, both issues were the devil's central strategy to deceive believers through the spirit of the Antichrist. So Paul warns here, he warns Timothy to... Um, to avoid, he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Like the witness has been entrusted to you. Avoiding worldly and empty shatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Which in Greek is gnosis. And he's addressing, Paul is addressing the, like what, what's taking place. is this seed of Gnostic ideas, Greek philosophical ideas that were infiltrating the church. And Paul is saying you have to guard the testimony from that. <clears throat> one, letter E, one had to do primarily with the identity and work of Christ at the cross, the false boast of the circumcision group. The other with his identity and work at the day of the Lord. One had a false boast, the other a false hope. They both constitute the perfect recipe for deception and are a dangerous trap for us to deny the Lord if we yield into temptation. For the Judaizers, it meant denying the cross of Christ in order to avoid persecution. For the Gnostics, going astray from the faith. A false boast leaves us without an entrance into the future hope. A false hope leaves us 
without an anchor so as to persevere in the faith even unto death. The end result will be the love of many growing cold as they abandon Jesus and his gospel unto worshiping the beast and taking his mark. So this is really intense. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And the idea of lawlessness is, you can see below in notes, is, is mostly related to, is to covenant. Like, because of falsehood <coughs> impregnating, <coughs> sorry, uh, uh, increasing, sorry, because of falsehood increasing, lawlessness or lack of loyalty to covenant will increase. And as a result, the love, the covenantal love of many will grow cold. And many people will end up betraying the Lord and abandoning the Lord because of that. And it's related to falsehood, increasing or deception. The sober call from the Lord is then for us to guard our hearts from deception and remain true to Him till the end by adhering to a sound doctrine. In reality, the greatest challenge is not Satan, the Antichrist, or the world, but the inclination and condition of our own hearts. Like Jeremiah 17, uh, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, That's intense. and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Of the day of the Lord. The inclination of our heart determines whether or not we receive the truth and change our minds accordingly. If the agenda in our hearts is for glory, honor, and money in this age, then we will be easily seduced by this world and reject, the tr- re- reject truth. This is what Jesus meant when he talked about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choking the word in us. So you can read those passages, Matthew 13. Luke 16. We're going to go letter, letter I. Uh, sorry, yeah, letter I to finish up. This, is, this will drastically play itself out at the end of the age in context with the mark of the beast, like we saw previously. And the consequences of it will have eternal implications. We're going to read um, just Revelation 14, 9 through 12. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Who keep the commandments of God. And their faith in Jesus. So you can read the conclusive part. is simply an exhortation to community. As a protection against Deception. There's several passages that you can read to see more about it. But it's key. We cannot be lone rangers. or Not even just by ourselves, but even in context to little groups. We must embrace other communities and, 
and, and challenge one another in love. Speak the truth in love to one another tenderly and cultivate truth and be honest and transparent to one another in that context. And, uh, and leaders, shepherds have a huge responsibility in this regard, as you would see in the notes. But I just want to finish with prayer. So I always like for us to stand by the end and just like cry to God briefly. So let's do that. I mean, this has been just an overview. <clears throat> Again, the, the, the issue is massive in the Bible and in, in life as a whole. This is just an awareness of the challenge. And, and so, so, Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we ask you to have mercy. Lord, you are slow to anger. You are rich in mercy. You are long-suffering. Father, you have endured centuries of us Gentiles messing with the truth. Father, we ask you, help us. We turn to you. We acknowledge the testimony entrusted to the prophets and the apostles. We set aside our own Gentile Greek agendas. We set them aside. We turn away from them. We acknowledge the election of Israel. We acknowledge the truth of the scriptures, of the law and the prophets, and the writings and the gospels and the writings of the apostles. Father, Father, we acknowledge that. We say yes and amen to it. And we ask you, help us receive that testimony, that witness that was given with blood and tears. Help us receive it with much fear and trembling and not manipulate it, O God. Give us the fear of the Lord. Give us a trembling heart. And help us to set aside our own wicked agendas, deceitful agendas. My own, right now, right here. We love you, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.